0: Let me ask you a question this morning. Go ahead and fill up the first slide, okay? Next slide. When you see that word, what do you think? What's your mindset when you see the word church? You know, uh, based on where you've come from, where you grew up, where you, uh, what experiences you have, you have all kinds of mindsets in regard to the word church. It, it may be, uh, you know, you grew up Catholic, or you grew up Protestant, or you grew up, Uh, whatever you have no experience with church whatsoever so you have some kind of a mindset about it but i want to tell you this morning regardless of where we grew up probably many of us or few of us i would say few of us probably have the same mindset when we see that word as the people in the book of acts when they first experienced what church was all about we're going to look at that last week we began to study the book of acts and we started with chapter one we went through this kind of lengthy last week i know i know it was long but it was a lot of intro stuff. This week we're going to talk about the second chapter of Acts. Not the whole chapter, but just the first 40, 41 verses. And you're going, man, that's even more verses than last week. I'm not going to read them all this week. I'm just going to read portions of it. I'm going to talk about it. Because it has so much to say to us about this whole thing of church. Because the church, as we look at the church, the church began as a movement. The church had no buildings to start off. It had no, no staff. It had no bands. It had no banners. None of those things that start with the letter B. I don't know of anything else. Uh, it had none of those things in the early church. But it was a movement of people committed to a, to a purpose. And, and actually, the church was launched around an event. An event that we generally talk about basically one time a year a lot. But we really, the whole purpose of the church is around this event. It's called the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of the church. That's what he was launched around. And, and matter of fact, as you look in the New Testament, and when you see the word church, it's the word ecclesia. That's this, this word up here, ecclesia. And the word ekklesia is a word that's a Greek word that means basically an assembly or gathering or called out ones. It, it was really not even a, a, a church word or a biblical word. It was a political word used in that time to talk about a gathering of people who would gather. Uh, they were called out for a purpose and they would gather together for a purpose around a movement. But it was the word that was used in the New Testament, the Greek word that was used about uh, when Jesus launched the church. And this is what it was, the word that was used It was a gathering around a simple idea with a simple mission. And that's what the early church was all about, the simple idea with a simple mission about a movement. It was about this thing. But something terrible happened in the early part of the church after the church was launched not too far along. That simple idea, that simple movement began to change and began to formulate into an organization and a structure and a hierarchy and from a simple message that the early church started with, it became a confused message in many ways, and a message that called divisive, divisiveness in people, and it caused all kinds of issues, and so the church became this whole hierarchical thing where there was, there was control and there was all kinds of things, and really around the word, around, around 300 AD, instead of the word when people would talk about church, instead of using the word ecclesia, they started using a, a, a German word. Actually, it was a Goth word, and I don't know, Freddie. I don't know how to pronounce this word, so you'll have to help me with this since you come from that region. K i r c h. What's that? What's that say? No, I'm not going to try to say that. <laughs> when I look at it, I go Kirch. You know, I don't know. But anyway, there was a, that was a word that was began to be used. For the church in around 300 uh, AD. And that word, Rick, basically meant a Lord's house. It was a place that was a place where people would gather for church meetings. And so it went from this idea that the church was a gathering of people for a purpose to this idea that it was a place that you meet. And from there, we saw all kinds of things that went on there. Uh, this idea, it became a hierarchy. And, and, and really, in a sense, this, this, this idea of kircher, or however you said it, Freddie, um, uh, this idea of that, this word, was really a throwback to the Old Testament idea of the temple. Because the idea then and back in the Old Testament was whoever controlled uh, the building Controlled the church, and whoever controlled the, the church controlled the scriptures, and whoever controlled the scriptures controlled the people, and even in, in, in that age, and then later on, whoever controlled the, all these things sometimes even controlled the government. It became this hierarchical power uh, structure that, that caused people to, you know, to be. It was all about control and, and a hierarchy, and, and and people. Certain people had access to scripture; other people had no access to scripture. Based on your education or position, all those different things. What began as a simple movement, a gathering of people for a purpose in the New Testament became a perverted idea focused on control. And something in, remarkable, though, happened in around the 16th century in the 1500s. A couple of people, several people, actually, was we always think it's just Martin Luther was the one who had it, everything to do with it. But really, one of the persons who was the key to this whole movement of let's getting back to what the church is really all about was a guy named William Tyndale. You may have heard of the Tyndale Bible. But William Tyndale in the 16th century, actually born in the late 1490s and lived into the early 15. I don't know, early 1500s in the 16th century, he was a scholar. He was an English scholar and a linguist, and he realized at that time he was a contemporary of Martin Luther, who we know about as the Protestant Reformation. But he had this he had this understanding in a real sense. He understood that that in that day, that people to have access to Scripture, the only way they had access to Scripture was to go to church. And the church there had the scripture and the church itself was and and often the scripture most of the time was written or was written and it was read in languages they didn't even understand. And so they would go there and the scripture was controlled there. But he began to ask this question as a linguist and as and as 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 a believer in Christ. He began to ask, should not people have access, everyone have access to scripture, to God's word? And so he began to do something that didn't really help, help his reputation. He was not exactly a loved person by the church. And what William Tyndale did is he began to translate the Hebrew and Greek text into English. And he began to, and about a hundred years before this, something had come along that helped us to go forward called the, the printing press. And he actually began the process of developing the, an English version of the New Testament and the Old Testament, and began to spread it. But he had to do this. He was so he was so uh, hated by the church leaders in England that he had to flee to Germany. And as he fled to Germany, there, as he was in Germany, there, he began to translate and to do this. He was still uh, hated because guess what happened? If people could now read scriptures in their own language the English-speaking people he was concerned with at that time, and it was others in Germany and other places, and Dutch reformers as well, as they began to do this, it, it threatened the control that the church had. Because no longer was it just the priest. No longer was it just certain people that could read Scripture. But now everyone, if they had it in their own language and had it accessible to themselves, could read it themselves. And could see what Scripture really said themselves. And, and and Tyndale was so much uh, so much uh, hated that that uh, eventually what happened to him? Uh, he was betrayed by one of his own friends. What a good friend! And he was shipped back to England. He was brought to trial, tried as a uh, as a traitor. He was hung, and then his body was burned. That's how much there was an issue about this issue of control, about how important scripture was and the, and the access to scripture was in that day and age. And we don't think about that today because, man, we can go anywhere. We can go to Walmart and buy you a Bible, you know. I mean, every week we got Bibles back here to back. You can have all the Bibles you want, guys. If you want a Bible or two, take it with you if you'll read it. Don't sit it on your coffee table and leave it there. If you take it home, read it. But we have access to that. And it's because of people like William Tyndale that gave us that opportunity that said, Hey, church. It's not about a gathering. It's not, a, I mean, it's not about just a building where people show up and, 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 and I tell you what to do and you just go your merry way and I have control or the church has control. It's not about that. It's about a purpose, a mission. And we want you to understand what it is God wants you to understand. And even though they, um, they, uh, they tried and, and, and killed, uh, William Tyndale, uh, guess what? It was too late because the Bible was already out there and it was accessible to people. And it changed along with other people like Martin Luther and others. uh, It changed. It opened the door for the idea of church going back to what it was meant to be. To the ecclesia, a gathering of people committed to the idea of being a witness to the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what the church was all about when it started. Now, Jesus had something to say about this himself about the purpose of the church. And he asked a question that some of us do not want to ask, you don't want want to ask this question to your friends, okay? I'll just tell you this. Jesus was pretty bold though. You know, how many of you want to go, go, go say, hey, what do people say about me? You would like to take a survey? What do people say about me? Uh I, I just ha- had that happen to me recently. Uh uh you know, we did the reveal survey. You notice how many questions it's about senior pastor? It's kind of threatening, truthfully. It's kind of scary. Um But anyway, you know, it's good to have feedback. But Jesus asked this question. He asked this question over in Matthew chapter 16. He says, he says to, uh, he says to, to, uh, he says, uh, what do people, who do people say that I am? That's what Jesus asked this question. In Matthew 16, he says, Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And then he says this, And I tell you that you, Peter, that you are peter and on this rock on this confession i will build my church not a building and the word there is guess what ecclesia this gathering around people of this idea that i'm here for a purpose and i will build my church and the gates of hades or many translations said the gates of death will not overcome it and and jesus says this and guess what happened not long after that jesus was crucified and he rose from the dead. And then he, and after he rose from the dead, he spent 40 days instructing his followers about some things. And he gives them what we call in Matthew 28 called the Great Commission. And then last week we looked at that similar commission that's in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And we talked about that last week. So that kind of brings you up to date and kind of gives you some where we are. And it said this in Acts 1-8. The key verse to this whole book of Acts is this in Acts 1-8. It says this, but when the Holy, he told him to wait, remember last week, if you were here, Waiting was important because he said, wait until something happens. Don't try to make a lot of clever plans. It's not about your clever plans. But if you want the church to work, if you want to do what God wants you to do, you need to wait. And when you wait, it says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. And then he tells them where it's going to happen. And after he tells them this, gives them this instruction, the group went back and we talked about this last week, did they really wait totally? You know, they, you know, they added up their, their, their 12th apostle back into the group. And, you know, whether that was good or bad is not the issue. The issue is they basically waited. And then about two weeks later, something miraculous happens, and that's where we begin today in Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bible today, turn to Acts chapter 2 with me. We're going to look at a bunch of verses in there and talk about the significance of this passage that has so much to do with the, with the opening days of the church what the church was like when it started, and what does it say to us today? Acts chapter 2, verses 1-12 through 12, tell the basic story of Pentecost. And Pentecost was this time when believers were together, and it says on uh, verse 1, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting to be together in one place. Remember I told you what, last week that one of the things that we see throughout the book of Acts is this, they, they were all together. They were all together. They were all together. The people in the early church... They weren't all, like, uniform. They didn't wear uniforms. And they weren't all exactly the same, but they were all together in purpose in what they were doing. And we see that throughout. But here they are. They're meeting together. And the day of Pentecost comes. And remember, Acts 1-8, just two weeks earlier, he says, Wait for the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will give you what? What's he going to give you? Just, just told you. Power. To be my witnesses. Keep that in mind as we look at chapter 2 and the rest of these chapters we're going to look at over the next several weeks. It says in verse 2, Suddenly, after they were meeting together, suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages. That's a better translation of that word there instead of tongues, okay? Sometimes we get a little confused there because it's in, in Corinthians. We won't, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here today without a little issue of tongues, okay? We will talk about that later. But it does raise the issue of what it was. But here, the correct translation is languages. It says they actually heard it, not only languages, but dialects. They actually heard, began speaking other dialects, languages that these guys didn't know. All of a sudden, I know, Randy Treze, I'm a you're from Brazil, right? Okay. You speak. Portuguese is that right? What they speak in Brazil? It'd be like me right now being able to speak Portuguese, and I've never had a, a language class anywhere in my life. Okay, I, I took French in school and I took Greek in college uh, or in seminary, but I don't know Portuguese. And so all of a sudden, you know, if I was not you know, around some 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 Brazilian people or Portuguese people, you know, all of a sudden I could speak Portuguese. It was kind of like what was happening here in this early meeting. These people were filled with the Spirit because what had happened at Pentecost, there was this gathering of people from all over the place and i'm not going to read all the places that they were from but basically as you look further in the next few verses there you will see a lot of different places named the people were where the people were from and basically uh, luke names about 15 different people groups here so there was at least 15 different languages or dialects of various languages spoken by these different people. And what it says here is that when, when the Spirit came, He filled these people with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak in these languages and these actual dialects that they didn't even know, as the Holy Spirit says, gave them this ability. Remember what Jesus, what, what Jesus had said was going to happen when they waited for the Holy Spirit, He was going to give them the power to be witnesses. And that is exactly what happened two weeks later, about 10, to ten days or two weeks later here in Pentecost. They began, this is an example of the beginning of God actually pouring out His Spirit in the lives of believers and them having an ability to do something, to be a witness that goes back, exactly back to the purpose that He named And so they went through this, and we can read through the next uh, few verses there as well in Acts chapter 2 about all the things that happened there. But basically in verse 12, after all this happens, in verse 12, this is what they asked. The people that were standing around, they asked this question. They stood there amazed and perplexed, he said, and then they asked this question, what can this mean? What can this mean that all these people are speaking in these languages? And they heard them praising God in their own languages, what can this mean? Now, of course, in verse 13, which we're not going to spend any time on really, so there's always some, some naysayers in the crowd, right? There's always people around who will say, well, you know, is this or is that? And some people accuse them of drinking too much wine. You know, being drunk early in the, this was early in the morning too, nine o'clock in the morning. And, and, and that's what he was talking about. But basically the issue here is this, is as they asked this question. They heard the, at Pentecost, they heard the Spirit. The Spirit came upon the believers there and many of them began to be able to speak in dialects to be a witness to others immediately about the power of Jesus Christ and about the power of God. And then following that, the rest of the chapter, which we're going to focus upon today, Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 41, is where Peter begins to speak, and he has the very first sermon in the life of the church, the very first one. If you want to read the first sermon in the life of the church, this is where you turn to look at it, verses verses 14, excuse me, uh, yes, verses 14 through 41 of Acts chapter 2. And as he begins this this passage in in Acts chapter uh, uh, two verses fourteen through forty one, Peter stands up. He, he addresses the people. He begin he gets their attention. And remember this: Let me ask you a question. Who was Peter? He was a seminary trained, intelligent, super intelligent guy who never had a problem with speaking in public, right? No, Peter was a guy. Remember that Peter's the same guy. He was a leader. Yes, Peter was a leader. Peter was a fisherman. He was untrained. He didn't have any, well, I guess he did have some theological training. He hung out with Jesus for a couple of years. I can't imagine any better theological training than that. But he didn't have any formal theological training. He had never taken, uh, you know, a, a preaching class anywhere. He didn't have a lot of credentials in regard to what he was about to do. But God had said that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when you wait for the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be able to be my witnesses. And that means, as we're going to look through Acts in the next few weeks, we will see that means so many things, but it always goes back to this main thing. You will be, I'll give, the Holy Spirit will come into your life when you're a believer, and it'll give you power to be my witnesses. Keep that in mind. I'm going to keep saying that, because it's the key point of all of what the church is to be about. And what the early church was. So Peter begins to speak here. This uneducated fisherman. He begins to speak. And he begins. First of all, he refutes that they were drunk. And then he, then, he, then he quotes. He quotes the prophet Joel. And he says this. Let me just read this. It's not going to be on a screen. But he reads in verses 17 through 21. He quotes the prophet Joel. And this can be found over in Joel chapter 2 in the old testament he says in the last days god says and peter's saying this to the people in the last days god says i will pour out my spirit on all people now let me ask you a question let me stop a minute here was that the way the church was kind of set up at that time no the temple was a place once again where people where there was a building and there were people who were in controls of the scripture and and they work on fancy clothes And they had a specific role. And if you wanted to have access to God, you had to go to the temple to get that to happen. And so that was kind of the way it was. Not all people had access, direct access to God. Now, we don't have that today, do we? Well, you can think about that yourself. But... um, yeah, we do. Um, and in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. and young, young, Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out on my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above the signs uh, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, so forth and so on. And then in verse 21, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Basically, he is saying here, folks, you know what used to be? Just what he is right now where there's this control issue, where the church is this place you go to and where, there's, where the, to, to have access to God you have to go here. That's no longer the fact. The fact is now as the Holy Spirit comes into your life and gives you power, you have access to God. Every one of you. And he names a whole bunch of people. He names not only the people but their servants as well in that day. He's saying things have changed. Things have changed. The church is a movement of people who have access to God, who can be a witness about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have that ability now. You have that access to God like you've never had it before. And then the remainder, the, the next part of the message, uh, Peter, and, uh, uh, he, in verses 22-36, through 36, the main part of his message, Peter just gives a basic message. This is the message that you and I can be witnesses to. And I wrote in my Bible, it's alright to write in your Bible, by the way, okay? I'll just give you permission. If you don't think it's all right to write in the Bible, either you're a neat freak or or I don't know, maybe you have an issue. Uh the, the the paper is not holy. The words are what we need to pay attention to. And so it's good sometimes to write down things. So I write in my Bible and I put a heading across this uh this next part of the scripture here, and and, and I put a title. You know, when I every week I have to figure out a title to my message. And I do that after the fact, not before the fact. After I've prepared the message, then I figure out the title based on what the Scripture says. And basically what I put as the title for, the, for Peter's message here is this. Why I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and why you need to as well. Why I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and why you need to as well. Guess what? We're to be witnesses to. That's the exact same thing God calls us, you and I, to be a witness to as well. Why? I believe in Jesus Christ And why I hope that you would believe in him as well. And so the thing is here is he began to share, and I just want to share a few things he says. He says in verse 22, this is where he begins to say, he says, people of Israel, listen, he's talking to the Jewish people who had gathered there from all over the place. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles wonders and signs through him as you well know he, he's referring to the fact that these people had actually lived many of these people had been there at the at the crucifixion uh, of jesus christ some of them had probably even a large number of them had actually remember jesus appeared after the after the resurrection to how many people we talked about last week 500 500 people so many of these had probably even seen the resurrected christ and he's saying hey I'm not telling you something you don't already know. What it is is I want you to say this. I say, you've known about God is publicly endorsing Jesus, who's done powerful miracles, he's done wonders and signs, and as you well know, but in verse 22, 23 he says this, but God knew what would happen, or what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. He's saying, I knew this was going to happen. This was part of the plan that Jesus was betrayed. Yes, I am God. I could control all things, but I chose to do it this way. Part of the prearranged plan. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him. And this is where it gets really bad. You know, sometimes I'll challenge you in a message, but Peter, man, he just went right to the throat. He says, he says this, he said, with the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to the cross and killed him. Now, I don't know about you, but if you want to try to win a popularity contest, claiming you know, trying to get people to uh, uh, to uh, like you a lot is not when you accuse them of killing somebody. But that's what that's what Peter said. He said killed him. But God, then he says this in verse 24, but God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in his grip. And then for the next few verses, and verses 25 and following, for the next few verses, he quotes another Bible passage. He quotes a prophecy that David... It has over in psalms in in, in the psalms uh, sixteen he says he says some things there about David about what David says and in verse uh, thirty one he kind of ends it up and he says seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, talking about what David was say, saying he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. He's saying that even before this time, he said, and he had just quoted about David, David was a, a person held in high esteem. He was one of their people that they held in high esteem. And he said, you know, the thing is, is that David, you know, he, he was a great guy. But he's in a grave. He's, he's dead. He's gone. But David, during his life, said, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be this guy named Jesus, Messiah, who's going to come. And, and, and what's going to happen with him is that he's going to, he talked about the resurrection. He prophesied that even before. So he's, he's appealing not only to what they've experienced, but what's been told before this. All these things spoke of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 32, he says this, God raised Jesus from the dead. And then he says, and we are all witnesses of this. Remember once again, this had just happened just like a month before, or a couple of months before. And it, during this pro- process, What had happened is these people were living in the area. Most of them there. Some of them had visited from other places. Most of them had 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 been witnesses either firsthand or they had talked to people who had seen the resurrection or saw the resurrected Jesus. In verse 33, Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. And it's really interesting in verse uh, 36. Then, just a couple other verses later, he says this. Therefore, and he quotes another, makes another quote from David in verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. Let let all Israel be certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified. Once again, he reminds them of that to be both Lord and Messiah. Now, let me ask you a question. If you had heard this message and you'd been there and somebody accused you of killing somebody, what would you have done? Would you be offended? Maybe. I'm going to come down here just to keep you awake, guys. I know that. So I know it's Sunday. It's a Sunday morning, whatever. I'll talk to you. I don't have a microphone all on your face or do anything like that. So it's not anything that weird. But I can't see you up there, to tell you the truth. So I, my, the lights are in my face. But what would you have done if you if you'd have seen that? What would you have done? How would you have responded? Well, the very next verse, verse thirty-seven, says how he responded. The people's response is Peter's words pierced their hearts. You know why? Was it his words? Was how 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 profound? Um, what was what was it that pierced their hearts? Let me ask you a question. On Sunday morning, to simply some people will go out here and they'll say something like, "Well, Pastor, that really that really spoke to me." And I'm going like I'm glad, but let me tell you what I think every time I think about that. You know what the Bible says about what really can change your heart? It's not my words. It's not even Peter's words. It's the Holy Spirit. You know the Bible says clearly, folks, and we talked about this last week a little bit, is that the Holy Spirit is the only person is the only uh, being that can change a person's heart. The Holy Spirit is the only one to convict us of sin, can say to us, "Hey, you need to be made right with God." It's the Holy Spirit. So often we think that cleverness or great speeches are are more information. But what a change in their heart is while Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit was working in the people's lives. I mean, they haven't yielded to the Spirit yet. They haven't accepted Christ yet. But what they were doing, the Holy Spirit is still working in unbelievers' lives to convict people of sin and their need for God. And the Holy Spirit, this powerful force that God, this person, the third person of the Trinity that God says lives in us as believers, was working in these people's lives. And it says that when they heard Peter's words, because the Holy Spirit, uh, that their hearts were pierced. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Uh, Let me tell you, that's that's always lets me know that the Holy Spirit's really working. Because you know what? It, uh, you know, what should we do? Well, what did Peter respond? Man, you should go to church regularly. That's what you should do. That's not what he said. Come on, folks. That's not what he said. You know, that, so often we think, you know, if the God is really, I've heard people all the time, they'll come and pastor, you know, I've not been in church a while. I really need to get back to church. Well, that's good. Okay. I'll just be honest with you. That's not a bad thing to do. But like I said before, you can sit in church all your life, you can sit in a garage all your life, you'll never become a car. You can sit in church all your life, you'll never become a Christian. Just showing up in a place doesn't make it happen. It's when you decide that God is going to be Lord of your life and King of your life and you allow the Holy Spirit to come in and it begins to ask the question, okay, what does this mean I should do? That's what he says. And then Peter replies, In verse 38, repent, it means turn around from the direction you're going, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive. guess what it's saying? Remember, let me ask you a question. This is where we get confused sometimes about the Holy Spirit thing. Back at the very beginning of of this chapter, at Pentecost, before this, Remember the guys, the guys who were in the upper room, the 120 and the apostles, and all them were in the upper room, and, and they, Jesus talked to them and said, "Hey guys, wait for something. Wait for the Holy Spirit." Back when they were waiting, were they already Christians? Yes, they had committed their life to Christ, but they had not received the Holy Spirit, right? Then Pentecost comes, they receive the Holy Spirit. Okay. That's one way of looking at how you receive. Some people think in the church, and we'll talk about this later, some people think that, you know, when you accept Christ, you don't receive the Holy Spirit right away because of this passage and one other, couple other passages in Acts. Okay? But let me tell you, right here's another issue in the same chapter. It says, it says this. It says, you, you will receive, it says, repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive, how soon? Immediately greek the gift of the holy spirit so often in life we that's where i will tell you as a church generally we stand upon this principle that when you accept christ the holy spirit comes into you immediately now the, the issue is the issue is this yeah it comes into you and the power is in you but you continually yield to the holy spirit you allow the holy spirit to work in your life more and more and more you receive all the holy spirit but you do not yielded to all the holy spirit right away and so we'll talk about that more as we go through the book of Acts here. But basically, Peter says this is what you need to do. And Then in verse thirty-nine, it says the promise. This is interesting. Okay, remember there was all these three thousand plus people, well, at least three thousand. There was a whole bunch there. I don't know how many were there. We know that three thousand accepted Jesus Christ that day, but there was probably even more there that didn't. And it says in verse thirty-nine, the promise. This promise of of the of G, if you repent and baptize and the Holy Spirit comes into you and receive Christ, he says this promise is for you and your children, and then and then it says this, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Who were those? Who were the ones who were far off? He's talking about geographically? Maybe. No, he's talking about us. He's saying this gift, what happens when you repent, you're baptized, you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. When you do that, the Holy Spirit coming into your life, it's for all of you who were there, he's saying, and for people who were to come after you. That includes us. Good news. It wasn't just for people at Pentecost. God still works in that same. Pentecost was a once in history occurrence. But this it says that all of those, all people who will receive the gift of the Spirit, uh, who, who see, receive Jesus Christ, will keep, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, who will have the same mission, the same purpose that the early church was. And remember what the purpose of the Holy Spirit was once again? Acts 1.8, to be witnesses to the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's our purpose. That's our mission. And see, the church is the continuing fulfillment of, of acts 1-8 the church is not about this building it's not about you know look this, the folks you know we call, we don't use fancy words here for this room you know what we call this room here we don't call it some of some of you use it called it sanctuary okay you know what i call it the big room you know why because sometimes during the week this is a worship place sometimes during the week this is a gym sometimes during the week this is a place where birthday parties are held Sometimes during the week this is a place where you can name it we've had police officers in here doing the uh, uh, training and fitness stuff you know we, this is you it's a building. the church is not a building the church is people on a mission. The church are people who are a gathering of people when you gather in your small group you're a church when you're carrying out God's plans when you're serving together in the community you're the church the church. Is people who have a purpose, who are on a mission to carry out the good news of Jesus Christ to people everywhere. So I don't know what comes into your mind when you hear the word church, but I hope today that after we've talked about this, that when you think about the word church, you'll think about it maybe differently than what it was when you came in here. Because the church is an unstoppable force that will forever change your life and the lives of those who are connected and influenced by the church, you as people. And God says clearly in His Word, that hey guys, when you accept Him, He gives you the Holy Spirit that comes into your life. And you don't have to, I mean, it's great. I'm seminary trained, okay? There's some of you seminary trained. But that doesn't mean that, you, that we have any greater witness or any power that beyond anything. Yet we have some training. Sometimes our training can get in the way. The issue is we have to understand that God wants to work through every one of us and he will give you the opportunity if you'll just yield to his spirit and let his spirit work in your life to be the witness that he has called you to be. We're going to have the exciting uh, adventure over the next several weeks of looking at how that worked in the life of the early church in numerous ways. And and how that, uh, in a real sense, gives us examples. and, 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 And I can tell you, and I'll give you examples over the next several weeks of people that are actually, God is actually working to empower them in the same way in our world today. It's not just for the people back then, it's even people right here in this community, right here now, that God is working in. So let's pray this morning and ask God to guide us as we go through this journey. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.